The Court of Magic in Diagon Alley had always seemed like an enormous playground to Ron when he was very small. He could remember visiting his father at the ministry, then rushing ahead of his mother to the courthouse's wide stone steps. The courthouse sat adjacent to the main ministry building, at the foot of a grassy lawn. He and Jinny would rush to the top of the steps, there were eighty-seven or eighty-eight, depending on how you decided to count, and after resting for a moment at the top, take turns seeing how far they could run up the sloping columns. Then you could actually lie down on one of the wide steps, and, if you turned your head at just the right angle, look across to the ministry and feel as though the enormous building went up into the sky forever. The ministry was a complicated jumble of triangular additions and protruding turrets, and Ron used to like to pretend that he could tell behind which windows rested the Department of Mysteries and the magical law enforcement squad. Eventually, he would slide off of the steps and join his brothers in trying to jump into one of the white, giant-sized stone scales which balanced in mid-air over the courthouse lawn. He had never actually had reason to go inside the courthouse until today, and as he followed Sirius up the steps, which somehow seemed to be much more normal size than they had when he was five years old, he felt a knot form in his stomach. They were stopped at the door by two security wizards, who let Sirius enter with a nod. Sirius waited patiently as Ron turned over his wand for inspection and allowed a restriction spell to be placed on it. A gold badge, stamped with Visitor, in blinking red letters, appeared on his robes, and finally the guards waved him into the building. Wow, said Ron, following Sirius into the depths of the building. What are they worried about? Everything, Sirius answered, waving his wand over a plain wooden door. You can't be too careful. We still don't have a firm idea of who might be lurking around outside of Culperot. He mumbled a spell, sparks flew out of his wand, and then he gently pushed the door open. Welcome to my office. One of them, at least. Ron let out a snort when he stepped over the threshold and saw an office after his own heart. Sirius had only been in residence since the beginning of the summer, but already there were filing cabinets overflowing with paper, stacks of parchment on the floor, and numerous bunches of documents nailed to the walls. It was in stark contrast to the neat, yet cozy, library at Lupin Lodge. "'Has Remus seen this office?' he asked, gingerly stepping over a pile of law books and lifting a stack of papers so that he could sit down. "'Yes,' Sirius answered, adding a stack of files to an already teetering pile on top of a filing cabinet, and then sitting down across from Ron. "'That's why he prefers to help me from home.' I thought he wasn't allowed to come, Ron began, but stopped in mid-sentence when Sirius clenched his jaw and picked up one of the law books from the floor. Can You Handle the Truth by Nicholson Moore, Authority on Wizard Law. Beneath it were several history books and several volumes of the Annotated Code of Wizard Regulations. It occurred to Ron that he didn't know much about Sirius's career before Azkaban. Were you into all this legal stuff before, he asked. He was still never sure if he should refer to Sirius's time in prison. It seemed like the kind of remark that would make Hermione nudge him in the ribs and say, Shh! Sirius shrugged. I'd thought about it. I was much more interested in riding my motorbike and working for the Order, but law was always a hobby. I had to know how much trouble I was technically allowed to get into. He laughed, such a rare sight that Ron stared in disbelief. I had to know exactly how far I could push James without the head boy being able to turn me in. Ron laughed, too, and it was the first real laugh he'd had since Hermione had left. Yeah, well, I can understand that. 
It's also very important for the head boy to know all the rules. Did you know, for example, that nowhere in any of the Hogwarts handbooks does it specifically say that students are not allowed in the kitchens? Ah, Sirius answered, leaning back in his chair and raising a finger. But it does. It says, he closed his eyes in concentration, no student shall remove food from the kitchens. Exactly, Ron interrupted. It does not say that you can't go into the kitchens. It does not say that the house elves can't carry it out of the kitchen for you at any time, although Hermione did always put them off by trying to pay them. It merely says that a student cannot remove food from the kitchens. You can also go down to the kitchens and eat the food there. Whoever wrote that handbook was an idiot, although I'm not complaining. There was a knock at the door, and Sirius pointed his wand at the knob and opened it without rising from his chair. An eagle swooped in, carrying an enormous parcel. Ron had never seen an eagle up close and leaned forward to get a better look, but the bird dropped the parcel in Sirius's lap and turned to leave, hitting the side of Ron's head with his wing as he flew out the door. Ow! Ron yelled, rubbing his ear. Sirius's face had returned to its usual grim, stony expression. He was reaching over his desk and pulling papers out, left and right. Thought you might want to see this, he said, handing the bunch to Ron. I keep meaning to bring these home for you, but then I get preoccupied. There were several pieces of parchment, on which were scrawled hasty-looking notes. The top of the pile said, Malfoy Weasley case, in bold, official-looking letters. Ah, said Ron, feeling his good mood dissipate. There was something sick about seeing his name that close to Malfoy's. Sirius had risen from his chair and was now bent over, digging through a pile on the floor. Ron looked back down at the files. Sirius had written things all over the margins, things like Quinn and Macmillan testimony and report from Dr. Buckley at St. Mungo's indicates that slimy git was not badly injured. Ron choked back a laugh at that one. Attached to the St. Mungo's report were several photographs. Ron watched in amusement as Malfoy, in St. Mungo's blue and white striped hospital robes, climbed out of his bed, shared a joke with his mother, Ron was amazed to see that she could actually smile, and did a series of push-ups on the floor. Interesting, said Ron. He was starting to feel better. If Malfoy was acting like this, then there was no way that anyone would believe that Ron's punch had caused permanent damage. Although, he thought to himself, Malfoy did look rather idiotic exercising in those robes. Sirius glanced over at Ron and then down to the photographs. Yeah, he said. I don't think that you need to worry about anything. That Daily Prophet reporter, Creevy, he gave them to me yesterday. Seems to dislike Malfoy as much as you do. So, asked Ron hesitantly, do you think people will believe this stuff? I mean, the judges and everything? They're fair? You'll see today, won't you? This is a slightly different trial than the one you're up against. Much more serious. After all, it's a Death Eater case. As for yours, I've tried to get Malfoy's defender to realize that it would be much easier to drop this whole thing, but, of course, he can't do that unless he persuades Malfoy, and that get seems to have it in for you. Still, I'm hoping all you've got in store is a monetary fine. Hoping? Ron repeated uneasily. Perhaps community service. At worst, I won't lie to you, at worst, I can see a short jail sentence if the jury decides to overcompensate on grounds that you're the minister's son and they don't want to be seen as showing favoritism. You could get held in one of the lower security ministry dungeons, but nothing serious, not like the wizard prison. Sirius winced as he said this and breathed heavily through his nose. 
They want to get you in prison, of course, but assault with the intent to cause grievous bodily harm? They'll have to know that's ridiculous. Well, I'd like to kill him now, Ron mumbled, wondering what a short jail sentence was. He couldn't imagine what he'd do if that happened. Sirius raised his eyebrows. Watch what you say, Ron. Not here, but in public. Especially because of your father. Someone will always hear you. Ron shrugged and balanced the pile on top of some other files on the desk, thinking that being well-known wasn't as much fun as he'd once hoped it would be. He didn't want to think about Malfoy any more. It'll be okay, he told himself. Are those for today? he asked, trying to change the subject. He pointed to a group of papers that Sirius had fanned out on the floor in front of him. Mm-hmm, Sirius answered, not looking up. He pushed aside some brightly covered pamphlets that looked like junk mail, loopholes in the law, how to get anyone off on a technicality, and it pays to get injured, and handed an enormous law book to Ron. Look up Men's Rhea, would you? Sure, said Ron, grunting as he picked up the heavy book. Hermione had to have arms of steel after hefting volumes like this one around for seven years. The Encyclopedia of Wizard Law, he murmured, and then flipped through the pages, which were so thin that he could see the outline of his hand through the paper. There must have been a thousand entries under M, but eventually he found the correct one. Ron cleared his throat and read. Mens rea means guilty mind. Conviction for certain crimes require that the defendant intended to carry out the crime. In such cases, the prosecution must prove that there was mens rea at the time the offense was committed. Humph, snorted Sirius, tapping a quill absent-mindedly on the palm of his hand. That still won't help. He yawned and continued to mumble quietly, as if Ron weren't in the room. Guilty mind. But how can we really know the truth if... Damn! Ron jumped as Sirius slammed a fist down on the desk. Parchment flew everywhere, and from the state of the office, Ron figured that Sirius probably did that all the time. Sirius, Ron said, perplexed. Why don't you just check and see if they've got dark marks? Voldemort alone could make those visible. At least, that's what we've determined so far. No one else seems to have the magic. Anyway, not everyone affiliated with death-eating was an official member of the group. Then why can't you just administer Veritaserum to these people? It'd tell you immediately who was telling the truth. Sirius shook his head. I wish it were that simple. He rose from his chair and leaned against the large filing cabinet. The Death Eaters made liberal use of the Imperious Curse, among other things. Ron shuddered, flashing unwillingly back to an extended, unshakable, floating feeling and the sound of soft laughter all around him, Death Eaters interrogating him, wiping away his loyalties and forcing him to compromise the people that he loved. There were few things worse than the Imperious Curse. The pain of the Cruciatus haunted him far less. So just ask the defendant to tell you if they were being controlled, Ron said, burying his thoughts again. If they're under Veritaserum, they'd have to tell you, right? Sirius leaned forward. Say, for example, I put you under the Imperious Curse right now and make you bark like a dog. Sirius grinned, and Ron gave a weak smile. If I then administered Veritaserum and asked you what you'd just been doing, you'd tell me that you'd been barking like a dog. It's the truth. But you weren't doing it of your own free will, were you? I still don't understand. You should just ask me if I was under the Imperious Curse. Would you know? Ron laughed softly. Oh, I'd know. You'd think so, Sirius agreed. 
but it's common practice for Death Eaters to lay a memory charm on top of the Imperius, in case a useful captive should be rescued or escape, and breaking a memory charm can ruin an otherwise sound mind. Bertha Jorkins, Ron muttered. Right. This makes it nearly impossible to depend on an individual's own testimony in defending their case. If they're innocent, then they can still say things that would sound horrendous, yet have no memory of having been placed under the imperious curse. On the flip side, anyone can lie and say they were being manipulated. We have to look to witnesses and other outside evidence. We have to look at a history of behavior. Incidences before the rise of Voldemort have to be taken into account. And then it gets circumstantial, and that's more of a nightmare. Ron furrowed his brow. This was all very complicated. Don't you always have witnesses? Sirius sighed. We do, but they're not faultless, are they? There were dozens of witnesses who saw me kill Peter. It occurred to Ron that he knew next to nothing about how the wizard court worked. So, he asked, trying not to sound stupid, that's what you do then? You try to defend all the supposed Death Eaters and gather as much evidence as you can to give them a fair trial? Gathering a bunch of papers in his arms, Sirius rose from his chair. I'll explain as we walk down to the courtroom. We're going to be late. Ron had to walk quickly to keep up with Sirius, who seemed to be trying to get his legs to catch up with his head. He walked with a determination that kept his whole upper body thrust forward. We had to restructure the system after the war, he explained, precisely because of people like this. He patted his papers with one hand. Your trial with Malfoy will be more traditional, with a judge and defenders and a jury. But the Death Eater trials are conducted differently. There's not one judge, but three in every trial. We call them the Judicial Council. Today we've got Mundungus Fletcher, Vivian Simpson, and Joseph Zug. How did you choose them? Ron asked. They're all appointed by your father. Ron blinked. It still surprised him to hear about the things that his father did as the Minister of Magic. It seemed so far removed from the dad he knew at home. His chest swelled with a bit of Weasley pride. And then what do you do? Ron hoped he wasn't annoying Sirius with his questions. "'Whatever I have to,' Sirius answered, turning a corner without losing speed. "'It's my job to gather the information, witnesses, and all the other stuff, and try to separate fact from fiction. There is a jury, but they really serve only as an advisory board. They can't make the final decisions. Only the Judicial Council can do that.' "'And you defend every case?' Ron knew that Sirius had been working himself too hard, and now he understood why. "'Wish I could,' said Sirius, stopping outside a set of enormous stone double doors. "'The best I can do is look over every case and decide who handles it. But I make sure to take every case that has a high potential of being unfairly and prematurely judged. I take the guiltiest-seeming prisoners,' Sirius smiled grimly. Ron nodded, thinking that taking all of the guiltiest-seeming prisoners really didn't lighten Sirius's workload. Most Death Eaters seemed pretty guilty to him. And you just do whatever you can to figure out the truth. Yes. The woman we're trying today, Darla Courtenay, she was a defender by profession. She was a Ravenclaw when she was at Hogwarts and very respectable throughout her career. She actually worked for the Ministry. But about 90% of the people that she defended during the war turned out to be Death Eaters, and I have no idea if she's innocent or if she helped to facilitate their crimes. Waving his wand, Sirius opened the doors, and Ron's mouth fell open when he recognized the grand main courtroom from his history books. It was intimidating. 
a few witches and wizards were seated in the spectators' galley that surrounded the room, and Ron recognized Mundungus Fletcher sitting at the front, deep in consultation with the two other members of the council. "'Nice of you to join us, Mr. Black,' Mondungus yelled, not looking up from his desk. Sirius made a rude gesture in the direction of the council, and then showed Ron how to get to the spectators' gallery. "'See you at lunch,' he said. "'I can guarantee you that this trial will take that long, at least.' Ron climbed the stairs and found a seat where he could have a good view of the prisoner's face, and of Sirius. The room was cold and dim, and Ron felt a bit like he was back in one of Snape's potions lessons. He looked across the room at the jury. There was a mix of young and old witches and wizards. He recognized his mother's school friend, Mrs. Cheshire. He'd forgotten to ask Sirius how the jury was selected. He wondered if Mrs. Cheshire could be on his jury. With his luck these days, he'd get Millicent Bolstrod. A loud voice that echoed throughout the room startled Ron out of his thoughts. "'Please rise for the Minister of Magic!' said a squeaky voice that seemed to come from the ceiling. Ron looked up, but couldn't see anyone. It sounded like a house-elf. Ron was surprised to see his father enter the room from behind the council. He wondered how his father had time to come to trials every day, with all the other things that a minister of magic must have to do. Arthur was wearing fancy purple robes and a very ornate, pointy wizard hat that winked with stars, and Ron snickered, despite himself. His dad was starting to go daft about dressing, just like Dumbledore. Sirius walked up to Arthur and handed him a piece of paper, and Ron saw his father point his wand at his throat. On this day, let it be said, for the record, that the Ministry of Magic calls to trial one Darla Courtenay, under the charges of conspiring against the forces of good and of acting as an accomplice to the dark wizard Voldemort. Several of the people sitting near Ron gasped at the mention of Voldemort's name. Arthur then said, the Minister of Magic defers to the judgment of the Judicial Council, and turned and left the room. There was silence in the room except for the shuffling of some papers, and then a creaking noise as one of the side doors to the courtroom opened. Two young aurors in training floated the limp body of a woman to the chair in the middle of the room and strapped her in. After they made sure she was secure, Sirius pointed his wand at her and said, Enervate. When she awoke, she seemed unaware and disoriented, but a moment later she opened her mouth and started screaming. "'Ms. Courtenay, you must calm down!' Sirius's voice was surprisingly calm, but his eyes burned intensely and his wand was pointed at the prisoner. The woman stopped screaming, but she was anything but calm. She tried to draw herself as straight as she could in the chair, and looked around as if expecting to be struck dead at any moment. Ron realized that she'd probably been stunned for a long while, although someone must have awoken her at some point to let her know about her trial. The Judicial Council explained the procedure and the charges in detail. I know all of this, she interrupted, her voice shaking. It's already been explained to me. Then Sirius began asking Darla questions. They started out simply. Were you ever a Death Eater? Like you, you mean? Sirius went white with anger and Fletcher stood up behind him. Mr. Black was pardoned by this ministry in the autumn of 1997, he barked. You were stunned in the spring of 1998, so don't pretend ignorance, young woman. Now answer the question. Ron wondered how often people did that to Sirius. No, Darla spat, I was never a Death Eater. Were you ever in the service of Lord Voldemort? No. 
did you ever knowingly let a guilty man walk free? My job was to defend people. This went on for quite a while, and Ron began to wonder if Darla Courtenay was telling the truth. He tried to guess if she was guilty just by looking at her, but he really didn't have a clue. She looked normal enough. Ron could tell she was attractive, even though her hair was pulled back and her robes torn. She looked a little bit angry, and that made Ron suspicious, although he supposed he'd be angry as well. He leaned forward in his seat and strained to hear every word. The questions became more specific. Were you aware, Miss Courtenay, that Gavin Fannin went on to kill seven people in the service of Lord Voldemort a mere two months after you fought for his innocence? I am a defender, Mr. Black. I defend people, which is more than I can say for you. You seem determined to prove that I am guilty. I did my job. It wasn't my fault that some of my clients didn't tell me everything. At least I spoke to my clients before letting them go into a courtroom. She paused and sat as far forward as she could in her chair, pointing a finger at Sirius. Maybe you should spend more time trying to prove my innocence and less trying to prove my guilt. I don't have a guilty conscience, and you'd better make sure that you don't act in a manner so as to place guilt on your own head, Mr. Black. There was complete silence in the courtroom. Ron could hear himself breathing. He was on the edge of his seat, hands clenched together. He had no idea what Sirius would say, how he would react. This was like watching a game of chess for the very first time. When Sirius did finally speak, his voice was very even. I would like to call in our first witness, Clifford Parkinson. Darla looked angry enough to break her chains without a wand. The guards floated in Clifford Parkinson, a tall, skinny man with a pug nose, already chained to a chair. When revived, he looked around in frightened befuddlement, and when he saw Darla, his confusion seemed to grow. The charges against Parkinson were fairly clear-cut. Sirius explained to everyone that Parkinson had been arrested during the war as one of the ringleaders in what had been known as the Bonfire Night Incident. He and a friend had killed two muggles by using a switching spell. The spell had placed the muggles on the bonfire during Guy Fawkes' night in the place of the straw man that usually burned on the bonfire. Darla had been his defender, and he had been released due to lack of evidence. Sirius then turned to Parkinson and asked, Mr. Parkinson, where were you on the evening of November 5, 1996? Parkinson's voice was quite high-pitched. I was at home. Were you? asked Sirius. Then how is it that you were arrested by members of the MLES in Skipton when your home, as I understand it, is in Birmingham? I've already had a trial, Black, spat Parkinson. He pointed at Darla. She knows. She was my defender. Hmm, said Sirius. He turned to address Darla. Did he tell you that he was home that evening? Did he explain to you how he ended up so far from home? My job, said Darla through gritted teeth, was to defend my client. I was not on some sort of witch hunt. You, she nodded her head toward Sirius, and then at the judicial council, you're no better than the muggles. You're just out for blood. Sirius stared at her for what seemed like an eternity to Ron. He couldn't help but remember the night that Sirius had dragged him through the Whomping Willow and into the Shrieking Shack during his third year at Hogwarts. Sirius had transformed from a dog into a human, and he and Ron had just looked at each other. Ron had been on the receiving end of that stare, and he didn't envy Darla Courtenay one bit. 